Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you've got your Bibles, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. And this morning what we're really going to be talking about is reconciliation. We've talked all quarter about forgiveness. And now we're going to focus in on the concept of uh, reconciliation. Proverbs 19 verse 11 is is a very important verse. I may have mentioned it in here before, I don't remember, but um, Proverbs 19, verse 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Now just think about this for a second. Uh, Remember, ancient Israel would have been more of an honor-shame type culture. And so a lot of times there was an assumption if somebody offends you, if you want to uphold your honor, part of the way that you do that is you take vengeance. And yet this verse is saying, no, there's actually a higher honor. That sometimes the most honorable thing is just overlook. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to mention it. You just overlook. Now, uh, very important principle. Why, why, this is kind of an easy answer, why would it be honorable if somebody hurts you, sins against you, offends you, just to overlook it? Why would that be an honorable thing? Just kind of forget it and move it Yeah, and I mean, just... This is one of those times it's like I am looking for the Sunday school answer because that's what God does to us so many times, right? I mean, how many times do we sin in a day that we don't consciously remember to go say, God, I'm sorry, I sinned, please forgive me. And yet God in His mercy just overlooks it. And it doesn't hinder our intimacy with Him at all, right? It's God-like. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that Jesus says is, you know, God is so gracious... I'm paraphrasing, that he lets the rain fall and the sun shine even on the wicked, right? I mean, even somebody as wicked as Hitler got to live on this planet for decades and experience a lot of God's mercy and grace and just common grace, right? God's a gracious God. So when we can overlook a offense, it's a great thing to do. Now, this is kind of a key corollary. It's not stated specifically here, but it comes out in Scripture. We're going to talk about it more today. Don't try to be more spiritual than you are. And let me give a practical example to bring it home. I think I may have mentioned this in here before. When I first got married, I was trying to be much more spiritual than I really was, and it did not work out for me, right? Because anytime my wife would do something I didn't like, I was just I was thinking about this verse. I'm going to overlook, I'm going to overlook, I'm going to overlook. But I wasn't really overlooking. I was holding on to a secret grudge, and eventually it would come out. So if you can't overlook it, don't try to overlook it. No. How do I know if I can overlook it? Here's my personal litmus test. If I wake up the next morning and I'm still thinking about it with negative emotions, I haven't overlooked it. Does that make sense? So if my wife says or does something, and I'm just you know using real-world examples here, and it frustrates me and she goes to bed and maybe I'm staying up and I'm praying and I'm thinking, and the next morning I wake up and I'm still kind of gritting my teeth about it, I probably need to say, hey, we need to talk. Okay? If I wake up the next morning and I've forgotten about it, or I kind of remember and I laugh at myself, like, I'm a moron. Why was I so upset about that? It's not a big deal. Okay, I've overlooked it. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, that's kind of all by way of introduction. But let's flip to Luke chapter 17. And the first point for today would just be this. Reconciliation should always be the goal. Whoever sins against you, that's what we're talking about this morning, when somebody sins against you, whether it's your best friend or a stranger on the street, whether it's a tiny sin, almost inconsequential, and you're not even sure it was a sin, or it's the worst sin you can possibly imagine, reconciliation should always be the goal. And again, why? 
Because that's what God has pursued with us. So let's read Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, I've said here before, Jesus taught on forgiveness a lot. This is a very similar teaching to what we read in Matthew 18 last week, if you were here, where Peter came up and asked, what if I forgive seven times? Okay, but, but it's a little different because Jesus is just teaching. Now, it starts out, verse 3, be on your guard. Some translations just probably say, beware. Usually in the Gospels, if you hear Jesus saying something like, beware, watch out, which is what that means, who is he usually talking to or about? Anybody want to take a guess just from your Bible reading? It's almost always the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. Beware of the Pharisees and their false teaching. They'll lead you astray. Beware, you Pharisees. But here he's saying to believers, beware of yourself. Be on guard against yourself. Because it's so easy to get trapped in these relationships where somebody sins against us, we get hurt, we don't take it seriously enough, and we can get into this root of bitterness that's really bad. So he's saying, watch out, watch out how you deal with sin in your relationships. Now, this is very interesting. Again, we've spent a whole quarter talking about forgiveness. We haven't spent much time talking about repentance. I'm not saying we haven't talked about it at all, but think about Adam and Eve. I mean, it's the worst example in the Bible of repentance, right? I mean, it's like God basically had to shame them, get them in a corner to get the most bare minimum confession of all time. Okay? Joseph's brothers, they did seem to have some genuine repentance later on. David seemed to have repentance after Nathan confronted him. But just think about the past three passages we've looked at in the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, mostly in Matthew. Repentance isn't even mentioned. It's so much more about just the attitude of our heart. If somebody sins against you, forgive them. If you stand praying and you remember that somebody has sinned against you, just forgive them. When you're praying, God, forgive me, you ought to just pray, and Lord, make sure I'm forgiving others, help me forgive others, right? That should just be going on all the time. Do the overlooking thing as much as you can, whether they repent or not. But this is part of what I love about the Bible, guys. It's so realistic. Sometimes you can't overlook it. It's too big. It's too important. It's too personal. And you've got to go confront. For reconciliation, sometimes there has to be a confrontation. Now... I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, just pause there for a second. What is the implication of that verse? What if my brother sins against me, and I go rebuke him, and he doesn't repent? I mean, just a plain, simple reading of that verse, what would the implication be? You don't have to forgive him. Okay? Now, listen. Doesn't that seem to contradict everything we've looked at thus far that talks about yearning to forgive? Being eager to forgive. Seems a little complicated, okay? I mean, we've been talking about forgive without limits. Forgive habitually. And again, let's just be honest. If somebody sinned against you, I mean, Jesus says, verse 4, if he sins against you seven times a day, I mean, let's just be honest. If somebody was doing the exact same sin against you seven times in one day, at some point you're going to probably think, Their repentance is a little suspect, right? (laughs) Stop doing that. Okay, I'm sorry, I repent. And they do it again. 
Jesus is saying there needs to be rebuke, there needs to be repentance, okay? Um, it's good to seek reconciliation, but here's point two, okay? Repentance must come before reconciliation. Reconciliation should always be the goal. But for there to be real reconciliation, if it's not something you can overlook, there must be repentance first. And practically, that makes sense, right? Okay, just trust me. Let's keep going, okay? Um, let's flip over to Romans chapter 12. I want us to look at another passage, all right? Let's look at Paul's teaching on this. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You know, Romans, Paul's greatest letter. In many ways, the first 11 chapters are really a lot of theology. Okay, and then in chapter 12, he starts getting very practical, application-oriented. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll start in verse 9. And as I'm reading this, I want you to listen and think what, what verse maybe jumps out the most that has to do with what we're talking about. Forgiveness, rebuking, repentance, reconciliation. So, Romans chapter 12, let's start in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who reap. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a ton of verses in there to apply to relationships, reconciliation, sin, all that. But here's the one verse I really want us to focus on, right kind of in the middle. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Again, one of the reasons that I love the Bible so much is it's so practical. Somebody can sin against you and really hurt you. And you can be doing all the stuff we've been talking about all quarter. I'm praying to forgive. I want to forgive. I go and I rebuke them. But if they don't repent, there can't be real reconciliation. It takes two to tango. Okay? Now listen. Um... We should try to rebuke them and get them to repent out of love. That ought to be the goal. When, when you go to rebuke somebody based on the Bible, Luke chapter 17, it should never just be, and unfortunately in our culture it often is, even the church, I just need to get this off my chest. Right? I just need to say this and now I'll feel better. That's not the goal. The goal is I need to say this so that we can be reconciled. I need to say this to you in love. It's going to hurt. But there's been an offense. I, I'm not trying to beat you up with it. I am trying to get you to humble yourself and repent so that we can be reconciled. Now, um, Tim Keller has, has taught on this a lot. He's just written a new book that I've just started reading. Okay, so if you, if you want more on this, the quarter's over, go buy Keller's book. I've just started reading it, but it's amazing. But one of the things he says is avoidance can be a form of payback. Right? I mean, don't we know this in marriage? Right? I mean, one of the most sly things that men and women can become experts in doing is the cold shoulder. I'm just overlooking it by not speaking to you for the next four days. 
Right? I mean, there's, there's nothing godly in that. A little side note. Can there be a godly way in time to say, hey, you know what? You have hurt me so bad and so deeply. I, I don't think I can talk to you. I, I need a day by myself, a night by myself. I need you to move out. for you know, and th- There are all sorts of appropriate ways to handle deep, hard, painful sin. <laughs> but just to shut off all communication forever and ever is not one of them. To say, give me some space, give me some time, let me go think, let me go pray, let me go meet with a counselor or a mentor or something. But the goal is to come back. If the goal is always reconciliation and you're being honest in communication, that can be a good and healthy thing. Does that make sense? But you've got to keep it that way. All right. Do your part. So let me just kind of give an example. I mean, imagine that you had in a marriage situation a husband who's a drunk, he's verbally abusive, he's emotionally abusive, he's violent, he hasn't hit the wife, he hasn't hit the kids yet, but he's punching holes in the wall, he's throwing things. So the wife has been listening to all this and she tries to obey and she goes, not me, obey the Bible goes to the husband and rebukes him, right? I mean, that's not a sin you overlook, right? If you're, if you're counseling one of your friends and she's like, well, yeah, my husband is a terrible drunk. You know, he's drunk four nights a week. He, he yells at me, cusses the kids. He punches holes in the wall. He throws stuff. He breaks stuff. He hasn't actually hit us yet. I'm just overlooking it. It's like, well, you're either a fool, right, or you're a liar to yourself. You're, you know, that's, that falls in the category of you, didn't, you don't overlook it. You go and confront and now you probably get somebody to go with you for safety purposes. But you go and confront the husband, and he doesn't repent. Well, then they're not reconciled, right? It's probably going to have to be, hey, you got to move out till you can change. I'm not trying to give marriage advice right now. I'm just using an example. Right? Matthew Henry, talking about this passage, said this, Study for the things that make for peace. Reconciliation is the goal, but in a sense, it's almost like you have multiple principles here, and sometimes you're going to have to figure out, well, which principle kind of trumps the other one? Let me, let me put it in a different context. Do you remember in Acts chapter 5 where the ruling authorities arrested Peter and the other apostles, and they said, stop preaching about Christ? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about submitting to governing authorities, does it not? Peter writes about it later in one of his epistles. Paul writes about it in Romans 13, submit yourselves to governing authorities. But does anybody remember Peter's reply to the Pharisees when they say, quit preaching Jesus? We must obey God rather than men. Yeah, we're supposed to obey the rulers, except if they tell us to disobey the Bible, then we don't do it. Right? So reconciliation is always my goal. But peace, listen, peace is a super high goal. But it's not peace at any cost. Right? Sometimes there's a type of peace that only comes on the backside of confrontation. And, and sometimes in our culture we can overvalue peace and reconciliation in a sinful way where we're sweeping all sorts of mammoth stuff under the rug that we shouldn't be sweeping under the rug. Rebuking, done rightly, is loving. And again, I, if, if you're paying attention, this does not seem to fit the tenor of everything we've been studying up to this point about how free and liberal we ought to be in our forgiveness. So this is, this is so important. There, there's a book, if you want another thing, if you're like, I want to know more about forgiveness, I don't like Tim Keller. Okay, here's another book for you. It's called The Peacemaker. Okay, uh, PCA guy, I think out of Montana. He's been here to teach before, and uh, it's a great book. And here's the way they talk about it. Okay, um, There's having an attitude of forgiveness and granting forgiveness. 
Now, that sounds like the same thing, but there's a slight difference. Okay. Um, here, here's the way that I say it personally. Yes. You want to mention, I mean, he's coming soon, Ken Sandy. I didn't know that. When's he coming? Yeah. Find the date, let us know at the end. All right. Uh, So, (laughs) good. here's Here's the way I distinguish it. Okay. There's offering forgiveness. And what the peacemaker would say about offering forgiveness is, in a sense, you're committing to God, I'm not going to meditate on this sin anymore. Right? Listen, so much of our sinfulness when we get sinned against is we nurse the anger. We replay the videotape or the audio tape in our mind over and over and over again, don't we? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe she said that. We rehearse it. So offering forgiveness in one sense is what we've been talking about the last three weeks. Lord, I want to forgive this person. I'm trying to forgive this person. Help me forgive this person. I don't want to meditate on their sin. It's between you and God in some sense, but you're letting them off the hook, so to speak. I'm not going to try to make them pay. And yet granting forgiveness is when they repent, and that's reconciliation. So you might want to term it different ways. But forgiveness, biblically, is one of those words, kind of like love in the English language, that has a broad meaning. Make sense? And for me, the best way is it's a two-stage process. There's offering forgiveness, and then there's granting forgiveness. I can offer it, and somebody in refusing to repent can say, I don't want your forgiveness. Let me just give a practical example. Some of y'all have heard me share this before. My wife grew up broken, non-Christian, bad home. Okay, And as she became a Christian and grew and matured, she kind of had to have different confrontational conversations with both of her parents, mom and dad. With her dad, she had that conversation first. It did not go well. I mean, she basically went in a loving way and said, Dad, you know, Christ has forgiven me of so much. I want to forgive you of, of all the things that you did or didn't do, you know, growing up as, as this terrible father. And, and was, was honest, was humble, was gracious. And he basically was like, ah, you know, I wasn't a perfect dad. You weren't a perfect daughter. What's the big deal? No repentance. So there was no reconciliation. Now, and, and there were multiple conversations, but they basically all went like that. When she went to her mom, it's not like it was perfect, okay? Those conversations rarely are. But there was some baby steps of real repentance and ownership. I'm sorry. I should have done this different. Wish I'd have done that better. And so there was some measure of reconciliation. Does that make sense? Forgiveness was offered in both cases. But there was only repentance in one, so there was only reconciliation in one of the relationships. But, but here's the key. After my wife, multiple conversations with her dad trying to offer forgiveness and he didn't repent, there was real freedom in her heart. Why? Because she could say, by God's grace, I've obeyed Romans 12, 18. As far as it goes with me, I tried to be at peace with that man. He didn't want peace, not biblical peace. Let me just fast forward because this may be the situation some of you are in. My wife's dad died about three years ago. It was sad. There was regret in the sense of, I wish things had been different. I wish he had been a better dad. But here was the beautiful, freeing, empowering part, is there was no regret in, I wish I had done something different. Not like she was saying I was sinlessly perfect. But again, she could say, by God's grace, I can claim Romans 12, 18. I tried to be, I tried. As far as it was with me to be at peace, I tried. He didn't respond. I'm, I'm free in my conscience. Okay. So this guy is, is important. Okay. Um, forgiveness offered versus 
forgiveness granted. Or you could say, you know, forgiveness conferred or accepted. That's stage two. So third point, forgiveness offered before repentance received. So flip to Luke chapter 23. And this this is going to give us the best example of this of all time. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And let's start in verse 32. Two others also were criminals being led away to to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. But he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now... What does it look like to offer forgiveness even before you confront somebody on their sin? There it is. I mean, when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, they don't really understand what they're doing. What's he doing? He's offering forgiveness. He has a heart of forgiveness. For who? For the criminals that were mocking him, for the soldiers that were crucifying him, for the high priests that were mocking him and set the whole thing up. This heart of forgiveness. So just kind of a side note, but it's a helpful one. If you're ever wrestling with, oh, I think I have a heart of forgiveness. I'm not sure I want to have a heart. Do you genuinely wish the other people well? I have had times in my life where I've been in conflict, maybe with other believers. And I want to go to the imprecatory psalms and pray those against those people. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Okay. And listen, I'm not going to say that's 100% wrong. The Psalms are in the Bible. But I'm going to say this. I know it's better when what I'm praying for them is God, have mercy on them. Would you have mercy on them? Would you give them the gift of repentance? Right? In the heart, when I'm praying, then pray Psalms, I'm like, God, get them. Expose them. Let them give what they deserve. Eh, probably not good. Much better, God. Have mercy on them. Open their eyes to their sins so they'll repent. Does that make sense? A heart of, when you can genuinely say, I want what's best for that other person, that's the heart that's offering forgiveness. Now, here's what's very interesting. Um, were these people that Jesus was praying for reconciled to him? It's yes and no. Some were and some were not. 
And let me just give you two examples to make it really clear. If you go read the crucifixion account in Mark and Matthew, there's one clear difference that sometimes we miss read so fast. Mark and Matthew say that both of the criminals on the crosses were mocking Jesus. Now this is a place where some people will say, well, let's see, the Bible's full of you know, contradictions. and They were on the cross for hours together. Here's the best understanding. Both of the criminals and their pain and their fear and their worry and their shame are desperate for any kind of help. So they're just mocking Jesus. Well, yeah, why don't you save yourself and save us? But at some point, one of the criminals probably sees the calm demeanor of Christ, something, and he probably hears him praying, Father, have mercy. And at some point, he's literally melted on the spot and says, Wait, if you're really who you say you are, just have mercy on me. And Jesus says, I'll see you on the other side, basically. He got reconciled. The other criminal obviously didn't. And here's the thing, guys. Probably a lot of those priests, a lot of those Roman soldiers didn't get reconciled to Christ. And they're in hell today. But almost certainly some of them did. Right? Mark's gospel ends with one of the Roman centurions saying, surely this man was the son of God. You go read into Acts, I think it's in chapter 6 where it says, some of the priests, some of the Pharisees started coming to Christ. It may have taken years, but some of them were reconciled to Christ. So here's the point, okay? When somebody sins against you, and it's a big sin, it's a hurtful sin, okay, you can't just overlook it. You need to go confront them. You need to go rebuke them. But here's what's so important, and this is, this is so easy to miss. Before you go and rebuke them, you've already had to do the hard work of forgiving them in your heart, offering them forgiveness. Because if you don't, what you're going to be doing is, and listen, this is where a lot of us land. Yeah, I'm going to go confront them. And if they repent, and if they repent good enough, yes, I'll forgive them. How do you think that conversation is going to go? Because you're going to come in there like a fire-breathing dragon. Right? Just pouring down verbal wrath on them for what they did. And judging them in the moment to try to see, are their tears real? Are their sobs deep enough? I mean, who, right? I mean, who wants to have to live up to that? And how are most people probably going to respond to that kind of attack? How would you and I? Unless we're having the most super spirit-filled moment we've ever had in our life, we're probably going to get defensive. I might have done one or two of the things you said. I didn't do all that stuff. You just backed up the dump truck and dumped on me. And then we're going to say, see, you're defensive. I'm not forgiving you. And it's just going to spiral into more conflict. If before I go to confront, I've already done the hard work to say, Lord, I want to forgive. I'm trying to forgive. Father, forgive them. They don't really understand what they did. Please give them grace. Please give them the gift of repentance. And I can go with a humble heart, a merciful heart, a broken heart. Yearning to forgive. Eager. Listen, you, you sinned. You hurt me. And here, here's the key, guys. And it's, it can't just be a line that you say. It has to be a principle that you're really meditating on and living on. But Christ has already forgiven me of so much that comparatively is so much worse what I've done to him than what you could ever do to me. 
I want to forgive you. I want to be reconciled. I'm eager to forgive. I'm yearning to forgive. Now, if in that moment they harden their heart, forget you. I don't think I did anything wrong. You're a little baby. You're taking this to your eye. Okay. You leave with tears in your eyes. At least metaphorically. But you can leave saying to your own heart, Romans 12, 18. I'm trying to obey. As far as it goes with me, I try to be at peace with that person. But the hope and the prayer is, if they repent, there can be real reconciliation. And then you say, I'm not going to meditate on this sin anymore personally. I'm not going to bring this sin up against you, to myself, to others, to God. It's over. I'm going to do my best to forget it. I'm not going to bring it up again to meditate on it, to hurt you. Because that's the way the Lord Jesus loves us. Does that make sense? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Your forgiveness is so rich, so great, so free. Please help us be conformed to your image. Lord, convict us if there's anybody that we're holding a grudge against, that we have lingering anger, bitterness, rage, frustration, holding a grudge against. Move us to overlook when and where we can. Move us to go confront when and where we should. Give us the gospel maturity to uh, forgive in our hearts, offer forgiveness before we even go. Please, Lord, make us peacemakers for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.